Could we? Could we lift our hands and praise Him together? Hallelujah! 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 God, praise God! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! This world that we're living in is looking for something genuine and real. They've got a whole bunch of false stuff out there, and they're looking for something that's real. Genuinely real. I happened to meet uh, uh, my neighbor out there in the trailer park today, and uh, he coming out of his motor home, and he asked me if I was here for the basketball tournament. <laughs> and uh, I told him, no, sir, I, I wasn't. And he'd come all the way from somewhere down in Texas, all the way up here for a, some kind of basketball game. Watch him bounce pigskin on hardwood floor and trying to hit a silly old round circle with a net on the bottom of it. He'd driven all that way just for that. He said, uh, is the weather hurting y'all's crowds? I said, no. I said, we've had real good crowds. He said, uh, then y'all's ceremonies are doing all right then. I'd like to have told him that it's more than just a ceremony. What we're feeling here is the genuine apostolic power of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you want to go to a ceremony, they're probably having one somewhere in town. But if you want to feel something genuine and real, something that has no falsehood in it, but it's full of reality, you need to come to the place where they worship and praise and magnify and glorify the name of God. This is more than a Boy Scout meet. This is more than a Girl Scout club. This is more than a social gathering. If Jesus wasn't here, this would just be a get-together. But because Jesus is here tonight, this place is a sacred, hallowed temple of worship unto God where we magnify and praise Him together. I'm glad I'm in a place where there's something real. I said I'm glad I'm in a place tonight where there's something real. Praise God. Something genuine. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That's that real, genuine stuff. You shall know the truth. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I didn't get to finish last night. <clears throat> I could have. But I felt like that God wanted us to, to close it. And God did what he wanted to do. And I want God to do what he wants to do tonight. Praise God. Do you want God to do what he wants to do tonight? How many has come to do whatever Jesus wants you to do tonight? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. The book of Hebrews chapter 13. Reading from verse number 10. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 10. Hebrews 13 and verse number 10 begins reading, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I want to draw your attention to verse number 10. And it is my subject for tonight. We have an altar. 
we have an altar. Would you ask the Lord to speak to our hearts? It was the first thing you saw when you walked inside of the old tabernacle in the wilderness. The very first thing that your eyes were laid hold on was that brazen altar right there in the front of that outer court. It was not a pretty sight. The brazen altar was not pretty at all. It was stained with blood. It probably had a very foul smell about it because of the beast that had been killed around it and the blood that were laying and the different parts of the animal that had been taken for sacrifice. But it was the very first thing that your eyes laid hold on. Everything else in that tabernacle hubbed around that one point of the altar. Everything else was done after the work at the altar was done. The priests never washed their hands in the laver until they did their work at the altar. They never saw the glowing of the candlestick upon the golden boards beneath the dyed skins in the holy place until first of all they had done the work at the altar. They never tasted of the table of showbread until the work at the altar was done. The brazen altar or the golden altar rather in the holy place was not ministered before until the work at the altar was done. And needless to say, the priest did not even in enter into the veil. And the sound of the bell and the pomegranate beneath his robe did not sound and the glory did not fill the tabernacle until the work at the altar was done. It was the center point of everything in that tabernacle. Everything that was done hubbed around that one focal point. You did away with the altar and you did away with everything else. Everything else would crumble because it was built on the basis of that altar. I'm still firmly convinced today that Jesus Christ still needs to be the hub and in the center of everything that happens in our world and in our home. We know that that Old Testament altar was simply a type and a shadow of things to come. That Jesus Christ became the high priest that ministered before the altar. He became the sacrifice that was laid on the altar. And he became the altar that received the sacrifice. Jesus Christ must be, he has to be, the center of every one of our activities. Our homes would go a lot more smoothly. Our activities would produce a whole lot more fun and enjoyment if Jesus Christ would remain as the center of everything in our home. He must be the center of our worship. He must be the center of our praise. He must be the center of our activity. He must be the center of our home. Everything we do in the house of God is useless and vain unless first of all it centers around Jesus Christ, our altar. Our worship is nothing more than just exercise unless it centers around the altar, Jesus Christ. Our praise is nothing more than just noise unless it centers around Jesus Christ, our altar. The Holy Ghost is empty and vain unless it centers around Jesus Christ, our altar. Everything we need is wrapped up in that one body, Jesus Christ. He is our altar. That altar was not only the center point of that tabernacle, but that altar was the approach to the glory of God. The only way that you got the glory of the Lord was for the work at the altar to be done. 
till the sacrifice had been offered and the blood had been spilled and it had been taken through its various appointments from there to the holiest of holies the glory of God did not come but when that priest followed the order of that altar and it offered the sacrifice before God and then he had went to the laver and to the candlestick to the table of showbread to the golden altar and then finally parted the veil and walked behind the curtain when he stood there and drinkled and uh, sprinkled that blood over that mercy seat. Between those cherubs as the presence of God began to dwell there, all of a sudden all of Israel knew that God had accepted the work of the altar because the cloud descended from heaven and filled the holiest of holies. Friend, I want you to know there is no shortcut. There is no easy method. There is no instant way to get the glory of God. There is only one way to see a mighty move of apostolic power and that is it must begin on our knees at an altar Jesus Christ you cannot produce the glory by some kind of tearjerker slow song you cannot produce the glory of God by some kind of fast paced upbeat song you cannot produce the glory of God by some kind of smooth tongue orator that writes with a silver tongue and keeps everybody sitting on the edge of their pews spellbound the only way to produce the glory of God is to begin the work at the altar Jesus Christ We've had many empty and void services of the presence of God because the service did not begin at the altar, Jesus Christ. It did not begin with prayer before God. Nadab and Abihu, they decided there's got to be an easier way to see God move. There's got to be an easier way to see the glory of God. Surely the way of coming before the altar is just not it. For you see, when they went before the golden altar to burn the incense, they began that work at the altar. They took the fire off of the altar and they put it in their censer. And then they took that with their incense and waved it before God. And when God in heaven smelled the incense and the fire that came off of the altar, he honored it with his presence and with his glory. But Nadab and Abihu decided, hey, fully on the altar. We don't need to get no fire. I don't know where they got it. The only thing is the Bible says it was strange fire. It is Anything we concoct is strange to God. Anything we produce is foreign to the glory of God. If it comes out of will worship and, and self-worship, and it comes out of the old, our motivation of ourself, it's strange before God. But when it's back with fire off of the altar, you better get ready, honey, because the glory is going to start at the top of your feet and go all the way down to the bottom and start at the top of your head and go to the bottom of your feet as you feel the power and the glory of the Lord. Nadab and Abihu decided let's, let's, let's do it another way. And so they got their strange fire and they put it in their censer and they brought it before God and they waved it before the Lord. God stands in the presence of his holy angels and it begins to smell something that he don't know nothing about. He smells something strange and foreign. He says there's something going on down that temple that's not right. There's something going on in that place of worship that not, just does not smell right. And when it got 
to smell and he said hey that didn't come off the altar and the Bible says that a fire came out of God and consumed them because God let it be known there's no shortcut to the glory of the Lord there's only one way to get the glory and that's to begin on our knees before Jesus Christ our altar in worship and praise and prayer meditation and exaltation and glory before the Lord and then take the fire from that sacrifice put it in your censer and bring it into service and start waving it before the Lord and God begins to smell he says somebody just come from the altar they've been sacrificing I've got to honor them with my presence and he fills the house with his glory because the altar is the approach to God you can't start any place else but at Jesus Christ to get the glory of the Lord. Not only was that altar a place of approach to God, not only was it the center of everything that was done in that tabernacle, but it was for another purpose. That old Jewish man, he would come in, his, his back was bent, his head was down. You could see that there was guilt all over him. You could see that, that he had done something he shouldn't have done and he was feeling bad about it. He was leading his sacrifice beside of him. He was bringing his, his goat or his, his bullock or whatever sacrifice he was bringing to offer for his sins. When he would come to the high priest, he would take the sacrifice and he would give it to the priest and he'd say, look, this is for a sin offering. I have committed sin and I need some deliverance and some help. And that priest would take that sacrifice and slit its throat and drain the blood and use the various parts of sacrifice to burn upon that altar. When that Jewish man, when they got done with the sacrifice burning on the altar, he walked away from the doors of that tabernacle. His shoulders were squared. His head was held up high. And when he walked away, he knew that he had laid everything that he had ever done upon the altar. Never to be remembered against him again that had been forever burned away upon the altar some of his buddies could have thought hey look I saw him go to that tabernacle I know that he went there for a sin offering. Let's see if we can find out what it is. And they can go to the altar and they can search through it. And they can try to find what it was. And I know it's here somewhere. I, I know I saw him lay it here somewhere. Surely. Surely let's see. Was it over here? I, I, I know he came and brought it and laid it on the altar. But you see once it's been laid on the altar. Once the fire of the altar has consumed it. You can't ever ever find it again. Because it's become ashes and God's burned it all away. Hey, you're looking at one preacher that still believes in laying your sin on the altar. We got people that's carried their sin and iniquity and their guilt and their, and their corruption and their evil on their back for days. They've become stooped under the load of sin. they become stooped under the cares of the world. And they've carried it and they've never laid it on the altar. But friend, I want you to know Jesus Christ is a place to lay your sin. Jesus Christ is a place to lay your evil. You don't have to carry your sin. You don't have to carry those sinful habits. You don't have to carry that evil. I've got an altar and his name is Jesus. And you can lay it on the altar and he will burn it away. Praise 
Let me interject this. That once you played it on the altar, please, in the name of everything sacred and holy, leave it there. If you've laid your sin on the altar, please don't take it back with you. I sat and listened to people talk about sins they repented of 15 years ago, still worrying their mind over it, wearing calluses on their skull, trying to figure out how they're ever going to get away from that sin. My God, if you laid it on the altar, would you leave ashes lay? Would you quit sifting through the rubble? God burns away all of your sin. He burns away all of your evil. We have an altar, Jesus Christ, and He will consume your sin. And if somebody else has laid it there, don't go back and sift through it and try to find their sin either. If somebody else has put it there, don't go try to figure out what they laid on it. Just thank God that they laid it on the altar before it consumed them. Because if you don't lay your sin on the altar, honey, it's going to consume you. I'd rather for my sin to be consumed than me to be consumed. That's why I've taken everything that I am, everything I hope to be, and have laid it all on the altar. Jesus Christ. beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living, a living a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service not only was that altar a place to lay your sin but that altar was very special the book of Exodus chapter 29 if you would brother elder verses 36 to 37 that altar was also a place that something else took place at it was also a place for another activity you see the altar was not just the center of the tabernacle it was not just a place to get the glory it was not just a place to lay your sin. You see, the problem with some of us, we isolate Jesus as just good for something, but not good for everything. I want you to know that altar was good for everything Israel needed, and Jesus Christ is good for everything we need. I don't think some of you got that. I said the altar was good for everything Israel needed, and Jesus Christ is good for everything we need. The book of Exodus chapter 29, verses 36 to 37. And the holy garments of Aaron yes. shall be his son. Is that Exodus chapter 29, verses 36 and 37? Oh, and thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering. And thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering. For atonement. For atonement. And thou shalt cleanse the altar. And thou shalt cleanse the altar. When thou hast made an atonement. When thou hast made an atonement for it. Uh-huh. And Re thou shalt anoint it to sanctify it. And thou shalt anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days thou shalt make an atonement. Seven days thou shalt make an atonement. For the altar and sanctify it. For the altar and sanctify it. And it shall be an altar most holy. And it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy. And this is what I like. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. Yeah. Notice something about that scripture. The Bible says that seven days, every day, morning and evening, they was to offer a sacrifice on the altar. Yeah. Seven days they were to come before the altar. Every 
Some of us only come to the altar on Wednesday night Bible study. Some of us only come before the altar on Sunday morning or Sunday evening. But friend, I want you to know if you want the full benefit out of the altar, Jesus Christ, you need to get up on Monday morning and kneel at the altar and sacrifice. And then Monday evening, kneel at the altar and sacrifice. Tuesday morning, sacrifice. Tuesday evening, sacrifice. Wednesday morning, sacrifice. Wednesday evening, sacrifice. Seven days a week, we ought to kneel at the altar, Jesus Christ. Not only was that altar to be used seven days, but that altar was a place of holiness. Everything that touched the altar became holy. I may wade in water real deep. You can saw the limb off behind me if you want to. But holiness can't be legislated. Holiness can't be demanded. Holiness can't even be learned. The only way to get holiness and to be holy is to fall on the altar, Jesus Christ. Amen. We got a whole bunch of people walking around with so supposedly holy, going through all of the holiness that, that we preach and teach, and I believe in that. They go through all the forms and the motion of holiness, but their heart is full of dead men's bones. They're like whited sepulchers. They got made the outside clean, but they never made the inside clean. Friend, that kind of holiness won't get you to heaven. But if you want a holiness that'll get you inside the pearly gates before the throne, fall upon the altar, Jesus Christ, for he imparts holiness. I honestly believe we could spend less time preaching on standards and holiness. We could spend less time preaching on all that stuff if more people would fall at the altar. We could spend more time winning our world than we could trying to straighten ourselves up if we would fall on the altar. No wonder he said, be ye holy as I am holy. The only way to get his kind of holiness is to say, dear God, here I am. I laid myself on the altar. I want to be holy as you are holy. Because holiness is imparted by the altar, Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can get holiness, the right kind of holiness. Oh, you may get a hypocritical form of it. You may get an arrogant form of it. You may get some kind of uh, self-righteous form of it, but you'll never get God's genuine holiness uh, until you've fallen upon the altar, Jesus Christ. Uh, hey, friend, we don't need anything else. If we need him to be the sinner, we make him the altar. If we need the glory, we kneel before him. If we need our sins remitted, we kneel before him. If we need holiness, we kneel before him. Everything we need is in Jesus Christ. <laughs> that priest he looks out past the doors of that tabernacle and he says here he comes again <laughs> I've seen him and I've seen him and I've seen him he's been to this altar with more sacrifices than you can shake a stick at I wonder what he's done this time and here he comes his head held high and his shoulders squared 
The old priest said, what you done this time, boy? Nothing. You need to be holy? No. You need a sin offering? No. You want to see some glory? No. You need to make him the sinner of your life? No. Then what in the world are you here for? He said, I just come to offer a sacrifice of praise unto God. I just come to magnify him. I just come to thank him. We got people that pray through in every revival. We got people that pray through almost every Sunday night. We got people that come and get converted almost every time the church doors are open. But friend, you need not to come to the altar every time just to get holiness. You need not to come to the altar every time just to make him the sinner or to get the glory. What you need to come to the altar every now and then for is to say, God, I just come to praise you. I just come to thank you. I just come to magnify you. I just come to worship you. Sometimes God only sees tears out of our eyes when we think we're about ready to go to hell. Sometimes the only time God sees any emotion out of us is when we want to see some glory. I think it would tickle God to death and just almost bust his glory buttons if we would come before God with a genuine heart of praise and thanksgiving with tears rolling down our cheeks and say, hey God, I'm not worthy. No, I'm not for anything that you've ever done. But I thank you for filling me with the Holy Ghost. I praise you, Lord, for your love. I praise you for your mercy. I praise you for your glory. I praise you for what you're doing for me. I praise you for revival. I praise you for the lost being saved. God just wants an offering of praise by him. Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Oh. We think the only time we can come to the altar, though, is when we got to have something. But that old Jewish man said, I'm not here for nothing. I just come to praise God. I just come to magnify, to lift up, and to exalt the name of God. What's he here tonight for, preacher? Because you're sin? No. What's he here for, preacher? Because you want to be holy? No. I'm just here tonight because I serve a great big God. And I'm just wanting to offer him some sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving unto God. Could we do it right now? Just offer him a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving at the altar. Hey, we don't need anything else. Everything we need is at the altar, Jesus Christ. Everything we need is right there. We don't need to go anyplace else. But we got some people that have decided that he is not everything we need. And what we need is another altar. What we need is another place of worship. What we need is another place to come and offer our sins at. We, what we need is another way 
to see the glory and the demonstration and the power of God. We read in the Bible of a man by the name of Ahaz that went to Damascus and while he was there meeting with the king of Assyria, he found another altar. And he liked it. He liked the size of it. He liked the shape of it. It was pretty. It, it had everything that he could possibly imagine. And so he took the dimensions of it. He measured it. He took the descriptions. He wrote the details down. And he sent it back home to Uriah the priest. For Uriah the priest to build that altar. Now what makes me sick at my stomach is the fact that Uriah was the preacher in the land. He was a priest, but he was a preacher. That's what a priest was. It was what represented them to God and God to them. And when that sacrifice altar came in to be made, Uriah didn't put his finger down. He didn't put his foot down. He didn't say a word. He just built the altar. I thank God every day for Holy Ghost filled apostolic preachers that says, hey, we don't need any other altars. We've got everything we need in Jesus Christ. About the time somebody says, hey, we need to build another form of worship. He says, not on your life. We still got the blood-soaked, blood-written altar of Jesus Christ. He's everything we need. What we need is some your eyes to get some backbone and spine about them to believe themselves that Jesus is still everything we need. The reason why we got a bunch of people building more altars is because we got your eyes that don't believe themselves Jesus is everything we need. They don't believe the altar still works. Hey, you're looking at one preacher, young though may I be, but I want you to know that I still believe Jesus Christ, our altar works. He still takes away sin. He still accepts praise. He still brings glory. He's still the center of our life. I believe he works. 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 Carry your altars down. We got an altar. Now, people build altars to defend themselves and protect themselves. Ahaz wanted to build that altar from Damascus because he wanted to gain some political clout with the king of Assyria. That's the only reason why he built that altar. He wanted to come up with some kind of agreement with the king of Assyria. And he knew if he built his altar that he would be able to, that king of Assyria would, would stand with him. We read of another man in the Bible by the name of Jeroboam. When the northern tribes went their direction and the southern tribes went theirs, that Jeroboam built an altar in Bethel and Dan. The Bible says he said in his heart that I'll build altars in Bethel and Dan lest they go back to Jerusalem to worship at the temple there and their hearts be turned back to Rehoboam. And they slay me. He built an altar to protect himself. And the reason why people don't like the altar, Jesus Christ, is when they kneel at it, they feel convicted and condemned and guilty. And so they build their own form of worship. They build their own form of religion to protect their guilty conscience. Honey, I don't want to protect my guilty conscience. I want my conscience convicted of sin. That's why I'm kneeling at the I don't like what I am. And if you do, 
Ahaz told the priest, he said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's take all the sacrifices that we ever offered on the brazen altar. And let's offer it upon the great altar. And let's move the brazen altar to the north. And it'll be for me to inquire by what he was really saying was this. Set the great altar in the center. Move the brazen altar to the north. And when I've decided how we're going to dispose of it, I'll tell you. We've got a whole bunch of people that's taken their new altars and they've made it the center of everything that they do. The center of their worship, the center of their praise. They made it the center of all of their religious activity. And they've set aside the brazen altar, Jesus Christ, to the north. And have decided, I will dispose of it in my own time. Friend, when you make such a tragic choice of building your own altar, you hear me, it's very possibly that you will never ever bring the altar the brazen altar back to the center of your life before you build that newfangled altar of yours you better consider the consequences of moving Jesus Christ out of the center of your life before you set him to the north and dispose of him you better decide what it's going to cost you it's going to cost you peace of mind it's going to cost you spiritual deliverance it's going to cost you heaven it's going to gain you heaven it's going to cost you an awful lot if you set aside the brazen altar, Jesus Christ. And what this modern religion has decided to do, they've decided they can take these precious, holy, wonderful doctrines and offer them upon their newfangled altars. Put them upon in their own design and do it their own way. Friend, I want you to know you put these sacrifices of great doctrines upon a new altar somewhere and it won't produce the results that you want it to produce. It may produce some kind of human result, but it won't get the job done, friend. I said it won't get the job done. It won't release people out of their sin. But you take these doctrines and truths of repentance and water baptism and then fill of the Holy Ghost and godly living and consecration and dedication and separation and abstaining from the world and you place it upon the altar Jesus Christ and men's hearts are going to be broken sin is going to be released lives are going to be changed hearts are going to be turned around because there's only one altar that gets the job done and that's Jesus Christ They've tried to offer these sacrifices of doctrines upon, upon altars of love and, and, and socials and, and ball games and gatherings and a whole bunch of other junk. And friend, it's not getting the job done. I don't have nothing wrong with you batting a ball and kicking a, a football somewhere. But when that becomes our means of motivation to win the lost, it won't get the job done. It won't accomplish it. But oh, you take that one you want to win and bring them before the altar, Jesus Christ, and watch their heart begin to melt and the brokenness of their soul begin to open and the fallow ground begin to turn and God will save the lost when they come before the altar, Jesus Christ. That old prophet out of Judah came before Rehoboam. 
and he prophesied against his altar. He said, hey, look, boy, that altar's going to be rent. And those that have offered upon it, their bones are going to burn upon it. He walked out, and Rehoboam said, hey, get him. When he stretched his hand out, his hand withered. And as it withered, the altar ripped in two, and the ashes were pulled out upon the ground. And then sometime later, they went and dug the bodies up out of the caves of the men that had offered before that and burned it upon the altar. Friend, I wish to God God would come in our lives tonight and would rent our altars in two, would rent our self-motivation in two, would rent our selfish dreams in two, would rent our will worship in two, would rent our ideas of religion in two, until we say, hey, somebody get the altar out of the north. Somebody get the altar out of the north. We need to sacrifice somebody in the house tonight the altar's getting torn down I believe somebody in the house tonight is taking the blocks out of the altar I believe somebody's reaching for the praise and altar Jesus Christ tonight he's everything you need he's everything you need mama he's everything you need daddy he's everything you need young girl young boy he's everything you need you don't need any charismatic worship you don't need any form of ecstasy that the world God, somebody said praise the Lord. Somebody said hallelujah. I believe Jesus is in the house tonight. I believe Jesus is in the house tonight. I believe an altar is here waiting for somebody, somebody to kneel before it. You see, no matter how old and outdated you think our altars might be, there's still glory at our altars. I said there's still glory at the altar of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he said, I don't know about it, preacher. I've been an awful lot to the altar. And I hadn't felt nothing. Just keep coming back. There's still glory at the altar of Jesus Christ. He'd been to that altar I don't know how many times. I don't know how many times he'd been there. I know he'd done it a lot. He'd walked up those steps and onto that marble floor into the place where that altar was. And Zacharias offered his sacrifice. And then watched it burn in a slow process because you see the work at the altar is slow. It takes time. And sometimes we rush the work at the altar. We want to get it over in a five minutes so we can get our hamburgers and our sloppy joes and our hot dogs. We want to get it done in, in just a few seconds so that we can, we can go our, our, our way and, and meet with our friends and have a little time to get a little extra sleep before well, we got to get up in the morning. But the work at the altar takes a little bit of time to consume us and to burn us away until we become what he wants us to be. 
And then Zacharias would get the fire off of that altar and he would put it in a censer and he would take it before the golden altar and he would swing it before the Lord. He had done that I don't know how many times, but he had done it. He had never seen any angels. He had never heard any voices. He had never seen anything great. But Zacharias just kept coming back because he believed in the altar. He just kept coming back and offering and offering and offering because he believed in the altar. He was an old man. Undoubtedly he had done it since he was a young man. But he just kept coming back because he believed in the altar. As far as biblical accounts is concerned, I don't find a place where he ever saw an angel at the altar before. I don't find a place where he ever heard a voice and a miracle proclaimed to him. But he kept coming back to the altar. Kept coming back and sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing because he believed there was still glory at the altar. Come on, Zacharias. Let's go back one more time, boy. Let's go back one more time. I believe there's some glory at that altar. Let's go back again, Zacharias. Come on, one more time, Zacharias. Let's go back. All right, preacher, let's go. And he climbs the steps, and he walks onto the marble floor, and he offers his sacrifice before the altar. He gets the fire out of that altar, and he puts it in his censer. And the Bible says he goes before that golden altar, and he starts waving it before the Lord. And all of a sudden, something happens way up in heaven. The Lord says, hey, angels, somebody, an old man, is in my temple. He's been coming a lot of times, but I want to talk to him today. I want to show him some glory. I want to show him some power. And he sends his angels down to Zacharias. And Gabriel appears before him and says, Zacharias, unto you is going to be born a son that's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He says, I'm an old man. How can it happen? But you see, when you keep coming to the altar, miracles happen at the altar. If you keep coming to the altar, miracles happen at the altar. If you just keep waving your censer with the fire off of the altar, miracles happen sooner or later. Several miracles start to happen. When you come before the altar, he said, oh, how shall I know it is? And Gabriel said, I'm Gabriel that stands in the presence of the Lord that talks unto you. Then I want you to know you've been doubting whether or not God still moves at the altar. You've been doubting whether or not God still answers prayer at the altar. I want you to one more time tonight. One more time. Come on, Zacharias. There's still glory at the altar. One more time, get your censer and go to the altar and sacrifice and wave it before the Lord and see if God will not show you some glory. You don't need to build any other altar. Backslider, you don't need to build another altar. Sinner friend, you don't need to build another altar. The thing you need is in Jesus. You just need to come back one more time. Young man, you just need to come back one more time. Young girl, you just need to come back one more time. 
I said, but preacher, I've been coming and coming and coming and I hadn't felt nothing. Come again. Would you come again? Before you build another altar, would you come again? Before you decide that, decide that this one don't work, would you come again? Because I believe if you'd come again, that you'd see some angels and some glory and some power that you've never seen before. He had been several nights in the revival. I had watched him there. I knew he needed something. I did not know quite what his status was until the last night of the revival. It was a Sunday night. God began to move in the song service and people were worshiping and praising God. This young man got to magnifying the Lord and crying and weeping and people gathered around him, praying with him. The pastor stepped over to me and told me he was a backslider that needed God desperately. He prayed very fervently during that time. And then everything seemed to calm down and went on with service. And I preached. And while I was preaching, I was coming toward the end of my message. People were worshiping and praising God. And all of a sudden, it startled me. In fact, I was standing on the altar bench right in the front of this church. And I turned around to look at the pastor momentarily. And all of a sudden, I heard this scream come out of the building and I jerked my head back around to see what was happening and when I did this young man was coming out of his pews a screaming and a hollering and a talking in tongues as the spirit of God gave him utter and a dancing up and down that aisle for all he was worth he had built some of the altars he had built some other places he had decided and told his pastor that God don't work no more but he found out if you come back one more time there's still some glory and there's still some power and there's still some victory in the altar Jesus Christ hear me as I proclaim it from heaven and announce it on hell tonight we have an altar we have an altar him as I tell it to the side we have an altar him as I proclaim it to the side we have an altar and if the PA could sound in Hutchinson tonight I would say we God, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I feel the Shekinah power of heaven sweeping this building right now. I feel a deep moving of the Spirit as it's sweeping up and down the aisles and across the pews right now, urging people to kneel once again at the feet of Jesus. To kneel once again at the feet of Jesus. Urging young people to kneel again at the feet of Jesus. Urging backsliders to kneel again at the feet of Jesus. Or if you want to do it, would you stand and wave your censer before the Lord? Would you wave your senses before the Lord? Would you wave before God? Oh, so